Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Greetings, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter Podcast. This is episode number 221. And today we're talking about beer. It's actually kind of strange that we've made it to episode 221 and I haven't had someone from a brewery on the podcast before. I've thought about it. I've reached out to a lot of people, but it hasn't happened. Now, it's fitting that it's happening now because I just traveled to Asheville, North Carolina. I don't know the exact stat, but it has to be the city with the highest concentration of craft breweries per capita. And that is a really good thing. I'm almost a little bit disappointed that I didn't go in the summer when it's hot and you're hanging out outside and you're having a nice cold beer. But there are a lot of places to get beer in Asheville. And so who do I talk to? Well, I went to the people who did it first. The Highland Brewing Company was founded by Oscar Wong. He immigrated to the United States from Jamaica His parents were initially Chinese immigrants, and he founded the brewery later in life. And he did it in the 90s when there really wasn't anyone else doing craft breweries. I'd been reading online and I learned that there were a lot of people in the 1970s and the 80s that were getting into home brewing, but we're talking about doing this at a bit of a larger commercial level, right? Now, Highland has gone on to be very successful and very well-known and beloved in the community in Asheville. And that's largely because of Oscar. I was really impressed by his story, and I reached out. And like so many places and people that I reach out to during my travels, Highland was just so kind. Ava, who runs their uh, publicity there, hooked us up with some drinks and helped to set up this conversation. So thank you so much to you. But a really cool family type of an atmosphere. The brewery itself is massive. The indoor area, the, the tap room has a stage. So clearly bands could play there. Really big outdoor area with tables and chairs and all sorts of setup. And there are food trucks there. It's probably so awesome in the summer and so awesome when we're not in the middle of a, of a pandemic. But I was really eager to, to talk to Oscar. We tried to set it up while I was there. Timing just didn't work out. And he's right. He says it in this conversation. But we, uh, you know, us New Yorkers pack a lot into a little bit of time. Now, before we jump to this conversation, I did want to talk about just some of my favorite spots and things in Asheville. So naturally, well, let's say you're there for a weekend. Naturally, you have to go to Highland. Best beer in the city. Places to eat. Curate, it's Katie Button's place, is unreal. Spanish tapas that made me feel like I was sitting seaside in Tarifa again. Really like mind-blowing stuff. The paella... It's a little bit of a wait for it. Take the wait. Order a bunch of other tapas in the meantime and get the paella. There's a place that has uh, 
um, like Chinese and Japanese dim sum called Red Ginger. That place was really good. Now we had gotten to Asheville when it had just opened up to, I don't know if it was 25 or 50% capacity like a day or two before. And so it was booming and there were weights everywhere, but it didn't matter. I know there were a lot of places that were actually trying to hire. So many people were laid off during the pandemic and Asheville is like, they're looking to fill, fill positions. But also, you should take a drive up the, the Blue Ridge Parkway. You're about 45 to 60 minutes from the Smokies National Park right by Pisgah Forest, National Forest. There's a bunch of state parks. There's nature in every direction. We even walked around like Beaver Lake in, I guess it's almost like in the city proper. What else for food? Oh, come on. Buxton Hall barbecue. This was my first time having Carolina style barbecue with a vinegar base. Totally different for me. Totally different. But good. Real good. And they make hush puppies there, which I guess is ground cornmeal, right? Like fried into almost like a, like a Zeppeli looking type of a ball. Oh man. So good. So if you find yourself with just a little bit of time, those are my recs, but you know, do what I always recommend and don't listen to recs. <laughs> just go there and explore. There's some great, uh, used bookstores and thrift shops and record stores, a lot of vegetarian food and vegan food, a lot of great stuff. It is a city worth checking out. All right. If you go to the show notes for this episode, you will find a link to the Highland site and to their social media accounts. They just put up some new merch that's pretty cool. So check that stuff out. That's also available if you go to to their tap room and, and hang out there. But there will also be a link to my Patreon account. That's patreon.com slash the voyages of Tim Vetter. And you get some cool kickbacks like the zine that I just put out. So I put out a zine of writing and images and some guest stuff from people I met in my travels. And that's all from, from my journals in Morocco. There are 100 copies of that right now. And people have been buying it, which is really cool. So thank you to everybody who's done that. But I don't know, once the 100 go, I don't know if I'll print more, maybe. But that's what I have for now, and uh, I am selling those if you want to reach out to me. But if you're a Patreon supporter, you always get stuff like that for free. So all my Patreon supporters expect that to come in the mail within the next week. Okay, folks, that takes care of business. Now here's my conversation with Oscar Wong. Well, hey, thank you for doing this. Um, I know we didn't oh, get awesome. we didn't get a chance to meet in Asheville, but I'm happy to to be able to link up now. So, Oscar, yeah, I would love to hear about your upbringing because I did a bit of research and I saw that you grew up in Jamaica, and I wanted to hear about yeah. what early life was like for you and what your interests were like when you were living in Jamaica. Well, uh, my parents are from China. And um, I had a, what would con- one would consider an idyllic childhood. Um, it was, here we are in a West Indian island, and um, 
Of course, the island is about 95% black, about less than 1% Oriental or Asian, and another 1% Indian from the Indian subcontinent, and a couple percent of whites from England and the rest of it. And then there's a lot of mixtures. So it's that's what I grew up in. And it was uh, a fabulous life. I, I, I have to say I'm very fortunate because um, I found that growing up in Jamaica, we, my, my approach to things is a lot looser than mm. all of us here in the U.S. We're, we're uptight and we're just worried about every little thing. And, and um, they always say, how come well, you, you're not worried about that? Hey, things will change next week. <laughs> If so, you, anyway, that's kind of like my. Life. If your parents grew up in China, how did they end up in Jamaica? Well, I come from an obscure group in southern China, who are the remnants of a group of civil servants from up north. When Genghis Khan and his boys came through and wiped out the um, the emperor and the dynasty that was there at the time so they were decimated and the remnants ended up in South China next to Guangdong Canton in the old days and became agrarian in the 1850s um, like everywhere else there's a famine and they left through Hong Kong which is British and the people we come from are called Hakka, H-A-K-K-A. And they ended up in five distinct British locations, which are um, Singapore, Uganda, West Indies, Vancouver, and England. And so I ended up in the West Indian group. Wow, that's really interesting. Now, when you came to the States, um, I believe you were studying engineering, right? Like you didn't have your sights set on, on the beer business at that time? No. Um, I got a degree in civil engineering. I got my master's in structural engineering. And one of my prouder moments to write back to my dad and said, well, you know what? I'm um, going on for my master's and you don't have to send another penny. I'm, mm. on, I'm on my own. So, and I did that for 25 years. And um, was fortunate to have a company that I, I sold and at, uh, in, when I was 47. And they kept me on for a few years. And in 1990, when I was 50 years old, they decamped to California. I didn't have room for a 50-year-old washed-up engineer. So <laughs> there I was. So how did you end up in Asheville and how did you end up in the beer business? Well, we were in uh, Charlotte at the time, and we loved coming up to the mountains, which is only two hours away. We loved to hike. And so at one point, we bought a mountain cabin up in Nashville with the intent to just retire there. In their interim, I had been home for four years. We had to place in the mountains for two years. We had, I had been home for four years at my wife's recommendation to just take a break. And so 
I did. And I ended up cooking, cleaning house, getting involved in nonprofits. And so <coughs> a uh, mutual friend introduced me to an award-winning brewer who wanted to start a brewery. And I said, well, if you started in Charlotte, you'll find somebody else. If you start in Nashville, I'll work with you. And that's how I ended up in Nashville. Now, people may know this, they may not know this, but Asheville has, uh, it's very prevalent uh, to come across, you know, a lot of microbreweries and craft breweries. Uh, it's, it's booming nowadays. But when you started this, when you started Highland or you started that together in the 90s, what was the beer scene like in Asheville? Well, there was no beer scene. <laughs> there was actually two restaurants that were featured in Wine Spectator. And I thought, well, they have good water. We're going to retire there. And I said, go ahead, we'll give it a shot. So we're the first legal brewery since Prohibition. Wow. Yeah, I, I had been reading that in like the 1970s, there was a lot of home brewing, um, but that the craft brewery boom, I guess, really didn't start until the 90s. So to do something, although it's smaller than like, a, like an Anheuser-Busch, still to do something at the like commercial scale, did you have any other businesses to look at and replicate? Um, not really. I, I was thinking in terms of, um, there were, well, I see. I've always loved beer mm. and we lived in San Francisco for a while, and Acrosine was kind of a, a, a big icon for us, Sierra Nevada. And um, so I, I thought of them. I didn't really do a lot of homework. I was looking at something to just keep me busy and get out of my, out of my hair, my wife's hair. And, you know, but that's how it started, and it gave me something to work on and keep busy, but not, not a lot of homework on it. Mm. Should have been done more, I, I think. <laughs> well, you say that oh, well. you're a beer fan. I, I actually have like pretty, pretty simple beer tastes. I like a lot of countries' national beers. So like um, Chang from Thailand, or there's a beer called Tusker in Kenya. Uh, Tsingtao, I think, is Chinese. Uh, Taiwan beers, obviously yeah. from Taiwan. Um, so, like, I'm 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 happy with a simple pilsner or lager. W what is your beer preference? Well, I I grew up on Red Stripe in Jamaica. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I appreciate and, and meat patties, and I appreciate a good lager. Over time. I brewed beer when I was in grad school, and I love, I've always loved beer from the time I was in high school. And in Jamaica, we don't have, you know, age controls. And um, at one point, I discovered Belgian beers, which are malty, not hoppy, pretty strong, and they're delicious and very complex. So that, to me, is... Uh, something that I really enjoy. However, I have a 
um, Chinese. So we eat everything, we drink everything. (laughs) I, I will contradict myself here and say that when I was at Highland, I tried your uh, creamsicle, I think was the flavor, and was blown away by it. Like it tasted like an ice cream sundae beer. And I was really curious about the your and your company's philosophy on creativity and how often are you trying out new flavors and like some are working and some aren't. Well, we have a tap room in which we try our pilot plane comes up with or uh, folks come up with new stuff all the time. Um, Depending on the response from our clients and customers, depends on how fast we move it along to try to come up with a new style. So it's really our our testing ground. Mm. What do you think it is about Highland that made it successful and made it have such longevity? Well, I think from the very beginning, we insisted on making the best beer we could make and maintaining the quality. We threw a lot lot of beer in the early days. We we had to call the um, Metropolitan Sewer District every now and then and well, we got another 2,000 gallons. Um, we need to get rid of it. Okay, well, what's the um, alcohol level? And okay, then you can meter out at so many gallons per hour. And that was it. So I think we stuck with what we felt was um, important in the quality and consistency. And we also worked with a lot of the local folks in helping out nonprofits. We wanted to be a, a valuable part of the community hmm. because we were proud of Asheville and we wanted Asheville to be proud of us. And I think that's simply put, that's how we went about business. Yeah, I like it. You know, today with so many more breweries, uh, I did feel a lot of like pride in Asheville. Um, as you feel in a lot of unique places, but is there a, is there a competitive nature now to the, to the beer industry there or are businesses working like collaboratively? Well, there is competition without doubt. And I think it is good in the sense that, um, nature does not reward complacency, Mm. nor does our free society. So I think the fact that um, we compete makes us better. Now, I have to admit, the last thing I expected was for the number two, three, and 11 largest craft growers in the country to show up in our backyard. Yeah. <laughs> that was a shocker. I thought, oh my God, what do we do now? And so we just stuck to what we do. We can't worry about what they do. We do the best we can with what we have and identify with the community. Yeah, I, I believe you're, you're partnered with a number of organizations in terms of giving back and doing good. And I was, you may have started to answer that a bit in some of your previous answers, but I was wondering if you could talk about 
who you partner with and help out and sort of your philosophy on using business to not just make a profit? Well, um, we feel that we should be a great community, um, what's that say, resident. We should be part of the community. And in the beginning, um, we would help whoever came across. We didn't have money laying around, but we had beer. And the beer was great for loosening up other people's money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we used it a lot. Now, when Leah came on board and she started formalizing and helping out, um, we, we have five distinct locations, our avenues. It's um, people, um, safety, um, the um, helpmate is like, you know, home, pet, and nature. Mm. So they all tie together. It doesn't mean that um, we, we lock it in because each area has a specific, um, what should I say, uh, agency that we work with in a given year. Southern Appalachian Highlands Conservancy, we worked with over the years. We still do. Um, the Nature Center, Helpmate for Families, Mana Food Bank, and the Pet. Um, you know, safety for pets. Hmm. So, and, and it may vary as the specific organization that in that category, but the categories remain the same. Ah, that's really cool. Um, I had a question about. So, I think you just mentioned your daughter, correct? Yeah. Yeah, so she joined the team. Um, did you always know that you wanted to kind of like keep the, the business uh, like as a family tradition? Well, that was a hope and a dream because if she hadn't, I'd have to look at either the staff or an outside entity to run with it. Mm. Um, but we ran, we circled each other for Oh my gosh, 15 plus years because she wanted to join us earlier on. And I thought, no, you, you really need to do your own thing and go. And she did. She did very well to the point that when I thought, okay, it's time for me to approach her. And her response was, oh, dad, you can't afford me. <laughs> well, which is very true because She's gotten her fill of what she was doing, and she ended up, when she came on board, and she was making a third of what she was making. Ten years into her tenure at Highland, she's making a half of what she was making then, wow. ten years ago. Go figure. But she's happy, I think. She's challenged, and she's enjoying it, so... My dream come true. She's running the situation. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I'm, without divulging too much information, I've been in a similar uh, situation and sort of am in a similar situation with work where um, there's a certain salary that I'm making that sounds really 
really attractive and lucrative and, and successful to people, but my happiness with the work is not there. So you, you do have quite a successful business, but I'm wondering if, um, if you could drop maybe a little wisdom on me and tell me like what, what you see as a, as a successful life. Ah, that's a tough question, but it's because it's different for everybody else. Mm. My approach to the staff is that, um, keep in mind, none of us gets out of this alive. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And when you're done and you're worth billions and you've left a lot of bodies behind, how successful have you been? Mm. How happy have you been getting to that level? So I, I believe in, um, and, and let me just say that coming to the U.S. has been a wonderful experience in that I've been helped by a lot of people. They took me under their wing, and I cannot help those people. I can't do anything for them. I paid forward because I feel an obligation to do the same for others that come. And that's why when it comes to you know, whether it's a staff, customers, anybody, we take care of them and they will take care of the business. Mm. And it, it, it making more money is, um, is a fool's errand mm. because there's never enough. Yeah, you, you've had some some business successes that I think are quite uh, exciting and admirable. You won the the Brewers Association Award. I believe that you have earned the title of the Godfather of Craft Beer. <laughs> um, what 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 do those things mean to you? Well, I must say I'm um, I'm really touched by them, and I have to say that. It's um, it, it's very satisfying for Godfather beer for the local area. I feel that that's so nice. The um, the Brewers Association Award, the National Award. Oh my, I am so honored and stunned when I got it <laughs> and humbled because I, I just never dreamed that something like that could come about. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know a lot about how the the business side of the industry works. I just know that I like tasty beer. But um, I would imagine if a, if a company like Anheuser-Busch comes in, that potentially maybe you would lose some creative control. I don't quite know how that works, but... Um, do you have any sort of philosophy on that? Like, or, or are you distributed by a major beer company in, in other states? Uh, we have reduced our footprint from nine states to just over four, hmm. four and a quarter to be exact. We have actually done better. We are our staff, our distributors, everybody we deal with seem to be a lot more comfortable with that. Growing and getting bigger is not part of our mantra. Mm. We want to be um, considered special, and we we'll, we have contracted. And I don't think we um, we're not looking to be bought out and 
cash out and make things work. Um, that being said, I, I have to admit that, you know, if uh, my daughter and I have talked about it, you know, if somebody comes around and puts some obscene money on the table and we have some constraints about how they treat the staff and remaining, uh, you know, we'd consider it, but we're not really thinking along those lines right now. We're having fun doing what we do. We're connected with our community and we love being where we are. Yeah, well, that's really evident. And I think likely your treatment and her treatment of your staff is is also how they treat people. Your team, uh, especially Ava over there, have been incredibly kind to, to me and my partner Leslie as we traveled, and they really took care of us there. So um, you can definitely feel that sort of community and family aspect. Um, you know, we it was my first time in Asheville, and I loved Asheville. And so naturally, I would recommend that people go check out Highland but uh, I'm, I'm curious, Oscar, if people are in Asheville for a weekend or so, um, what else would be on your curated list of things to do, see, and eat in Asheville? Well, clearly, they should hit both the Grove Park Inn and the Biltmore House. Those two. Mm. Um, they should be downtown, the Blue Ridge Parkway. Uh, there, and there are actually more trails per square mile in western North Carolina, in my estimation, than any comparable area in the country. And if you get on a trail, you won't be overrun necessarily by a whole bunch of people. Yeah. So there's a lot of trails. In fact, we just came back this last weekend because my wife um, celebrated her 80th birthday. And oh, wow. We, we went away for three nights, three days, three and a half days, and that's what we did. Wow. Yeah. Um, it, the, the proximity to so much nature in every direction is, is such a, yeah. an attractive feature of living there. Um, listen, Oscar, it's, uh, it's really great to get to talk to you and, and to learn about your story. Um, I'm always so impressed by the people that I talk to who uh, create something really wonderful without like a lot of formal training in that thing. You know, I'm sure you were a brilliant mind in engineering and you just worked really hard and in a way that you thought was, it was ethical and, and good to create a wonderful company. Um, the space there is incredible. It's so big. You have like a stage for a venue and outdoor stuff. Um, so I, I was really impressed by all of it. And it's, uh, it's been a, a real treat to get to chat with you today. It's my pleasure. And just as a quick note with Ava for an example, you know, she and her husband are going to start something up in Upper Michigan. And uh, she's still working with us. Mm. And that's the way we work. Um, people don't leave the company. They're still connected. Yeah. Yeah, that's and great. And uh, next time I'm in Asheville, I'd love to uh, meet face-to-face -face and uh, share a pint. Love to see you. I, I hope you don't push it too tightly. You know, do you, you folks in the big cities, you just <laughs> jam things up. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we squeeze a lot into uh, into a little bit because we don't have lots of time. But um, yeah, yeah, I appreciate it, Oscar. Absolutely.
Hey everyone, that is a wrap on my conversation for episode 221 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Thanks again to Ava, thanks to everyone over at Highland, and thanks to Oscar. What a cool guy, and so kind. I've been trying to be a bit more mellow and kinder in general. We see a whole lot of things happening out in the world that are very very unkind and very ugly. But the people I meet on the day-to-day and the people I meet in my travels have been so so great to me, especially on, on, on this last two, two weeks of traveling. I met so many amazing people that I'm now connected to. A lot of folks we just didn't have time to record with that we'll get in over the next couple of weeks. But it really sort of like reaffirmed why I love traveling. Meeting someone and they have instant suggestions for you. Or they want to feed you. Or show you something specific to the place you're traveling that they think you absolutely have to try. Because when I was in Louisville... Matt from Bourbon Barrel Foods, who was on here, he was like, you have to go to Curate in Asheville. Because we had mentioned we might go there. I'm like, all right, cool. And it was after Matt had fed us. He had this great wreck for us. And so we go to Asheville. And not only do we have this amazing meal, but I end up talking to Katie online and possibly linking up for an episode in the future. It's great, man. I think if, if, if you're vaxxed or you, you got, you know, your two vaccinations and you're safe and you're still masking and you feel comfortable to go out into the world, go out into the world. God, we have been cooped up in our homes and it is time to get back out there. Take a weekend road trip. Take a day trip. Go somewhere new. Try something new. Meet new people. Do something different. Do something scary. Because there is absolutely nothing happening from your couch. And I can't wait to get back on the road. I can't wait to go back to Asheville. And I can't wait to share a pint with Oscar in person. Got some more stuff coming to you this week, Voyagers. So look out for that. Thank you for tuning in. And as always, please, 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 Take care of each other. I'm going to catch you very soon.